Welcome to episode number 21 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring Oscar-nominated cinematographer Robert Yeoman of the new Wes Anderson film, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Robert Yeoman has photographed every one of Wes Anderson's films, going back to his debut feature film, Bottle Rocket. We'll discuss Robert Yeoman's collaboration process with director Wes Anderson, as well as his general craft as a cinematographer. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. And you can follow us on Twitter for the latest updates at jogroad. And now we join Oscar-nominated cinematographer Robert Yeoman as he discusses the distinct visual style of director Wes Anderson throughout all of his films. Well, he's always kind of been interested in symmetry. Uh, you know, it's always been kind of a, a fairly uh, constant in throughout our work together. And, um, you know, so when we come to a room, you know, we always find the exact center and try to center up on doorways and windows and, you know, uh, framing actors, you know, put the crosshairs right between your eyes. Um, so that's been a pretty constant uh, element. Uh, generally been attracted to wider lenses, uh, you know, up close. So when we shoot our actors, we frequently have a very wide lens, very close, uh, which has been pretty constant. Um, and over the years, he always liked a lot of depth of field. He likes things to be in focus, you know, for, uh, you know, see as much as you can. So whenever we've lit uh, we're lighting, we always try to keep that in mind to get as much depth of fill as we can. Um, you know, and uh, the whip pans uh, have been kind of, kind of a trademark with him where I might be a one actor and then I whip pan over to the next one and then back to the first actor and uh, that's been kind of a constant as well. So those kind of roughly are uh, our visual element. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't think of anyone offhand anything else, but... Um, that's something that's always been with us. Yeah, I was sort of curious uh, on Bottle Rocket. That was sort of, I guess, the only one of his films. Uh, I mean, I guess up until Moonrise Kingdom, that was only in one eight five aspect ratio. Yeah. Uh, did he ever intend to shoot Bottle Rocket in two three five? Yes, uh, we wanted to shoot two three five, and because it was Wes's first film, uh, the studio and the powers that be. Uh, we're questioning whether we wanted to shoot anamorphic because it's a little more complicated. It requires a little more lighting. Um, and so they asked us to uh, do a test in pre-production where we shot a scene uh, in both anamorphic and 185. So, uh, of course, Wes and I totally loaded it towards the anamorphic. We made the frames very kind of artsy and... Uh, um, you know, I lit them a little more beautifully, and then when we did the 185 scene, we purposely kind of made the frames less interesting, and, um, uh, you know, I made the lighting a little more boring, and um, they, we sent the test off to the studio, and the studio said, uh, we can't see the difference, you have to shoot 185. <laughs> so um, we were kind of forced into that, which is not what we wanted to do. And uh, when Wes did Rushmore, he made it clear up front that we were going to shoot anamorphic. And uh, up until Moonrise Kingdom, everything was shot anamorphic. Yeah, it's interesting uh, just seeing in the two three five aspect ratio for you know whether it be Rushmore, Royal Tannenbaum's Life Aquatic, uh, or even Darjeeling. 
uh, just the way uh, the the actors are staged within the frame, it's it just feels so specific. Um, does does Wes really have a a specific idea going into the day how he wants to stage the actors and how he wants to compose uh, the frame? Yes, generally um, we show up in the morning with a very specific idea of, of what we're going to be shooting. It all starts in a preparation. Uh, Wes and myself and the production designer go to all of our locations or uh, if they're building sets and we talk pretty specifically how we want to shoot. Um, and even uh, starting on Moonrise Kingdom, we would sometimes even do what we did called pre-shoots where we would have a camera and we would uh, uh, line up, you know, uh, uh, production assistants or have whoever happened to be with us, producers, and they would take the roles of different actors and we would actually shoot them and, and you know, just see how it, how it looked on film. Um, but then after we visit all these locations, uh, Wes uh, used to do what he, uh, very uh, uh, complete storyboards. Now, uh, last two movies, he makes what um, we call an animatic, which is kind of a, a crude cartoon with hand-drawn figures, and uh, it kind of uh, Wes does all the voices of all the characters, and it's a pretty good blueprint for where the camera's going to be and how it's going to move and where the actors will be uh, in the frame. Uh, so it, it's it, it, almost the entire film is, uh, is contained in this animatic, you know, and so it's something that we've kind of worked out beforehand quite carefully and um, that's posted and anybody on the crew or the cast is able to look at the animatic and you have a very kind of specific idea uh, uh, what you're going to be shooting that day. Um, so uh, to answer your question, yeah, the blocking is fairly worked out beforehand. And I mean, obviously you get into a physical space like a train or uh, uh, which is a very small space to deal with and you find that maybe you couldn't do exactly what we had planned. So there's a certain amount of uh, visual improvisation that has to take place there. But uh, I would say most of the films are very very carefully uh, pre-planned, for sure. Yeah, I was wondering uh, too, as far as uh, you know, your work as a cinematographer and creating a color scheme and lighting a set. Uh, as far as working with a production designer or uh, a wardrobe person, uh, how much do you collaborate with them in terms of sort of identifying what will photograph well or what may not work within the confines of the film? Uh, well, in the West movie, we have very close collaboration with both the production designer and the uh, uh, costume designer. Uh, our last couple of movies, Adam Stockhausen was our production designer, and uh, Melina Cannell, uh, we've worked with on and on and off over the years. And, um, you know, Wes will work with them independently uh, and talk about colors and things, and I usually tag along just to see what they're thinking. and. You know, when you shoot film, obviously, uh, some of the things photograph differently than what it might appear to your eye. So uh, we shoot, you know, a lot of tests in pre-production. I mean, for instance, like a dark blue blazer will photograph almost black or purple. It's kind of tricky. It, it, it photographs differently, darker than you would imagine. And so I'm always pushing uh, the wardrobe people to lighten those colors up a little bit because I know they'll be happier with the effect. On, on film and, and you know sometimes when you see
see somewhere in that wardrobe, it, it looks a little brighter, a little, uh, you know, different than what they were going for, but you have to trust, because we shoot the test, that it'll, in the end, it'll hold up properly. So, uh, what we end up doing, uh, particularly on, say, Grand Budapest, Adam would have the art department paint, uh, like four by eight sheets of, of, of foam or different colors of pink that like we were experimenting for the interior of the hotel. And um, then Lorena would have different uh, pieces of cloth that we would just drape over someone's shoulder and uh, different shades of, of a color for the jackets. And we would kind of simulate how we would be lighting it during the movie and, and then shoot different, you know, put different colors up against each other just to see how they would photograph. And, and based on that, you know, we all watched the tests and, you know, we decide what what we think is going to look the best. And obviously, in the end, Wes makes the call what he, what he wants. So, uh, you know, it's a very kind of elaborate testing process that we go through in pre-production. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, too, about uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. It's probably the only movie I can think of that actually jumps from three different aspect ratios. I believe the, the movie opens in 185. Then you go into two, three, five, and then it goes for most of the film into, I believe, Academy ratio. Yes. Uh, so, what was sort of the conception behind doing that? And also, um, did did you find it difficult at all in terms of uh, transitioning from one aspect ratio to another throughout the making of the film? Uh, well, that, the idea of the different aspect ratios was Wes's, and he presented it to me, and, and I, I at first was a little nervous and skeptical about it, but. Um, we did some tests again in pre-production, and uh, you know I saw that it would work beautifully. And you know the concept was that each aspect ratio would reflect how movies were shot during that time period. The Academy was how ratio was how uh, films in the 30s were shot, and then in the 60s, a lot of studios were shooting the widescreen uh, kind of as an answer to the advent of television. And then gradually we kind of settled into a one eight five, which has been from the you know eighties up until now, kind of a standard format that people use. And um, so I think the concept was that each format would not only represent that time period, but because they are so different, uh, they they offer many different uh, types of compositional uh, possibilities. And so. Uh, we studied a lot of films from the 30s, uh, Ernst Lubitsch comedies and Grand Hotel, and you know, just to see how the directors and cinematographers of the time, uh, you know, dealt with that uh, square frame. And, and uh, you know, it just was an interesting study for me. At first, I was a little, uh, you know, afraid of that that frame, but uh, as we started using it, I, I just embraced it and uh, I really, really love it and, and, and it just it, it's a whole different way of working and, and with space than what I had done in the past and um, and how to get fit characters into a shot and uh, you know close-ups are a different uh, deal than they would be with anamorphic or 185 so uh, you know so many much of my work has been 185 and anamorphic the, uh, the Academy ratio was, was a, a real exciting new uh, adventure for us, and uh, we both really embraced it. And uh, Grand Budapest was shot all on film, is that correct? Yes. It was, uh, everything was filmed. 
Some of the miniatures uh, and stop motion we shot uh, digitally, but uh, all the live action was shot on 35 film. Wow. Um, I was wondering, too, is it true that you also operate the camera yes, as well? Yes, I operate for all Wes's movies, yep. Have you op- do you operate usually on every film that you work on, or is it usually uh, most of the movies I operate? Uh, sometimes I, I do uh, some big studio comedies where there's more than one camera, and uh, I, you know I operate sometimes. Sometimes it's just better for me to be by a monitor, or if there's two cameras rolling, where I can kind of watch both cameras and, and make suggestions. Uh, but. I was wondering, just in, in terms of your general work as a cinematographer, how important lens choice is when uh, when you're going in to shoot a scene, and uh, how much of that sometimes is talked over with the director, or is maybe just sort of your own independent choice as far as what you think would be the best lens to work with? Um, it varies. Yeah, lens choice kind of varies depending on who I'm working with. Uh, with Wes, he's very specific, and, and we have a, a director's fire that we actually put the lenses on, and he will always uh, have that. And, and uh, you know, when we first get to the location and be looking through that and getting ideas, and you know, I'll make certain suggestions. But, um, you know, we kind of, uh, 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 he, he has a very specific idea of, of what he wants things to look like, so uh, he's very involved in lens choice. Um, other directors are much looser uh, about that sort of thing, and they, you know, are more interested in their actors and the performances of the actors, and so they will rehearse, and then they might say, um, what are you thinking? And I, I can throw some ideas at them, and they can say yes, or, well, maybe I was thinking this, and so it's a little a looser kind of situation. Um, and, and so much of it is kind of a feeling after you've shot uh, for as long as I have, you know, you kind of, you, you know, you just kind of go with your gut instinct, what would be the best uh, uh, lens to use in this situation. And um, so I often just kind of go with my own instincts in that in that type of uh, situation with a director. But, um, you know, it's, it, it varies from director to director. Someone like Wes is very involved with lens choice and other directors are, you know, they involved at all. So, and it, 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 it runs the gamut in between as well. Yeah. Uh, in terms of um, working with with many directors, like you've worked with William Friedkin, Gus Van Sant, uh, Paul Feig, uh, and you know, you described Wes's process as really being so specific as far as what shots he wants, what lenses he wants to use, uh, the framing of the scene, the staging of the actors. Uh, when you're working with someone who is sort of more um, sort of thinking through on the set, on the day, and making yeah. those choices on the day, uh, do you find that more difficult, or are you, do you just kind of adjust to whatever the director's process is? Um, it, it can be more difficult, uh, particularly when the blocking uh, gets to be complicated. Uh, you know, when you have a lot of different actors and they're moving around quite a bit, um, you know, it, you have to kind of think very quickly how to cover it. I mean, there's always a time pressure. You have a day to do a scene or a few hours, whatever that it is on the schedule. And, you know, you're, uh, we're expected to get that work done during that day. And, you know, if we don't, um, 
you know, when you have too many days like that, then the studio gets upset and, you know, kinds of crazy stuff happens. So, um, you know, it, it, it's more difficult sometimes just to do it on the fly. Uh, but it also uh, uh, allows for a little more possibilities, uh, you know, uh, of how to shoot something and uh, so it... Uh, you know, in some ways, it, it, it's a little, uh, a little more creatively freeing. But that said, I mean, Wes's movies are so well thought out beforehand, and every shot is very carefully uh, thought out, and, and he's, he's kind of edited this in his head so that, uh, you know, it, it allows us to be more streamlined, I think, and, and to uh, uh, kind of be much more uh, quick in shooting because we, when we show up we know exactly what's going to happen and there's no surprises and all of a sudden we're not looking in a direction that we had no intention of looking in and so it's it it you know it allows him more time with his actors and uh, it allows us to move much faster and um, luckily I think Wes has great ideas and so uh, I mean if he was a director who had really bad ideas I, you know, I'd be very unhappy and, you know, would, would be blocking at a lot of these shots. But, you know, I, we think a lot, a lot alike visually. And so, um, you know, I think that when he presents an idea, I rarely say, oh, that's a bad idea. I mean, usually I say that's a great idea. So uh, I just try to enhance it as best I can. Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting aspects about uh, Wes Anderson's films, as you mentioned before, is his use of wide-angle lenses and also uh, a very large depth of field to get so much in focus. Yeah. Uh, I always wondered, do you need a lot of light to sort of pound on the set in order to get so much in focus and have such a large depth of field? Yes. Um, and uh, particularly the anamorphic uh, lenses, which inherently have less depth of field, we would bring uh, bigger lights in uh, to just get get a little more punch and a little more depth of field happening there. Um, so to answer your question, yes. I mean, in Grand Budapest, uh, we had a, a situation where uh, we created a, 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 the hotel lobby in the 60s and, and Adam Stockhausen put in a uh, kind of a, a fake uh, fluorescent-type ceiling, but there were no lights up there. So we uh, pounded that. We covered it with some tracing paper and just pounded it with a tremendous amount of light from above because I knew we were shooting uh, anamorphic and we were shooting a, a, a slower film stock, which is less sensitive to light. And, uh, and I knew that at some point Wes was going to want to use the zoom lens, which uh, in anamorphic, you know, uh, when you shoot with the zoom lenses, you have to have a, a lot of light in order to make them function, uh, you know, on a, on a very high level. So. Knowing all that, I prepared that set so that we could uh, you know, quickly put on the zoom and, and shoot without a, a giant relight situation. So we did use a lot of light in that particular set. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, too, um, because you've used you know film so much throughout your career, uh, what has been your experience with digital cameras, and uh, how do you find the difference between lighting for film versus lighting for digital the whole digital camera uh, first came on the scene I, I fought it very hard I was a film person uh, I, I came from film I love film I love the look of film I love the process of shooting film 
But over the past few years, the digital cameras have certainly come a long way, and now it's becoming harder and harder to shoot film. The studios don't want to shoot it. It's a little more expensive. They, you know, if there's no lab, the labs are closing down. So, you know, if you're not in a place where there's a lab, they have to ship the film, and the whole process is slower. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's it's getting almost impossible to shoot film these days, really. Um, so I, I have shot a lot of digital. Uh, I shoot the Alexa, which is a great camera, and uh, I shot uh, tons of commercials uh, with the Alexa. And my last feature, which I, I shot in Budapest called Spy, it hasn't been released yet. Uh, we ended up shooting the Alexa. Uh, I find that it's a different process, in some ways slower, uh, because of all the cables and all the electronic stuff that t accompanies the cameras. You can't just take a camera and put it on a tripod and start shooting right away. Uh, but it has certain advantages, uh, uh, one of them being in low light, uh, particularly if you're on the streets at night or you're in a situation where, in Spy, we were shooting in these tunnels below a brewery in Budapest. and. There was almost no light down there, but the cameras really perform uh, really wonderfully in those situations, and I think in many ways could outperform film. Um, it has a different look to it, uh, but that said, you in today's world we can manipulate the image in post-production so that it's getting more and more difficult to you know tell the difference between film and, and HD. I mean. Uh, uh, but you know it still does exist, and um, but every year the the uh, digital cameras just get better and better, and um, you know it's, it's here to stay. And you know my fear is that before long the film won't even be an option, and uh, it's fast heading in that direction, which I, I personally am saddened and alarmed by. But um, you know that's it. The, the digital cameras are getting better and better, and they're they're you know. It got to a point where, you know, I don't know what the percentages are, but it seems like most movies are shot digitally today. Yeah, I, I think the only movies I can think of uh, over the past year, probably Grand Budapest Hotel, then Inherent Vice, and uh, possibly Interstellar for Christopher uh, Nolan. Interstellar, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and you need, in, in all those situations, you need a, a, a very a recognized and, and strong director to, to say, I want to shoot film. Uh, because otherwise the studios are just going to say, no, you can't do it, <laughs> you know, and the people that put the money. So uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a sad state, but it's true. Uh, and all those directors, and you know, Quentin Tarantino, uh, they're all very kind of uh, committed to film, and, and, you know, I'm so happy that it still exists, but, uh, you know, it's just getting harder and harder, and um, I... As I said, you know, I mean, uh, when I shot Spy digitally, I, I, it was not my first choice when we, um, I really wanted to shoot film uh, for that particular movie. And um, But having shot it on uh, the digital camera, it, it, you know, it, it, we, we got some really beautiful things with it. And, um, so it's just another tool, but, uh, you know, and, and like, you know, they just, as I said, I don't really keep repeating myself, but they just keep getting yeah. better and better and better every year, so. What's uh, what's interesting too is that I think most of the film projectors and movie theaters around the world are also disappearing, which uh... yeah, I mean they're they're getting rid of film projectors, and I mean I, I have mixed feelings about that. I mean obviously there's nothing like experiencing uh, uh, seeing a film projected in film, 
I, I, I you know, I, I, there's a revival theater here in Santa Monica, the Arrow Theater that shows film, and uh, I, I took my whole family a couple of years ago to see Singing in the Rain, and you know, or if you see uh, a 70 millimeter print of Lawrence of Arabia, I mean, the, the experience of that is, you know, incomp- you can't compare that to anything. Um, I mean, the good news with the digital projection is it's pretty standardized, and so the people in a little theater in Arkansas are going to hopefully see the same uh, image quality that we're seeing here uh, in Los Angeles. And, you know, the, the, the prints don't get beat up. It's, it's in focus. You know, you don't have a lot of the projection issues that we've had been played by for so many years. Um, so, you know, I'm not against digital projection in many ways. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a good thing for that reason. You know, there's nothing worse than going to your film and seeing it uh, frame wrong or out of focus or, you know, there's just, you know, the print, the print is really dirty. I mean, that's, that was always very disheartening for all filmmakers. So yeah. I think we've eliminated that problem with digital projection. Uh, I was wondering, uh, as far as the Grand Budapest Hotel, to wrap everything up, if there's a particular shot or a particular scene that you feel that you're the most proud of that was really executed even beyond what your expectations were. Um, you know, there's nothing really in particular. I mean, one scene that you know comes to mind was the scene where uh, Joplin, the you know, Willem Dafoe character, chases uh, 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 Kovacs, the Jeff Goldblum character, uh, through the museum, because that was kind of cobbled together from uh, uh, many different locations, some being an actual museum in Dresden that we shot uh, the exteriors and some of the interiors there, others uh, just uh, in a little town that we were staying in, uh, we had this kind of older buildings we would find that we would create different rooms of that uh, art museum and uh, we used some uh, front projection which is a very old style of, of, of uh, filming that people don't use too much anymore but um, you know West was very taken by this whole uh, quality of the image when you use the front projection so we, we combine all kinds of different uh, locations and uh, techniques to kind of uh, create the one cohesive uh, whole of that museum. So it was an interesting, uh, uh, you know, exercise for us. And, uh, you know, I, I was very happy with the sequence the way it was kind of came together, but it, was, it really is a, a variety of many different places and techniques. Yeah. And then um, just to, to wrap everything up as well, um, I was wondering how you feel about uh, receiving this Oscar nomination. I believe it's the first one of your career and uh, all the accolades the film has gotten. Uh, you know how you how how do you see that, and are you you know very proud of the film? Um, yeah, I mean it was a surprise, and I was, was you know it's a huge honor, and um, you know if you look at the other films that are nominated, I mean you know you've got Birdman with Emmanuel Besky and Roger Deakins and Ida, you know which was a beautiful uh, Polish film, you know, uh, and then Mr. Turner, which is also incredibly beautiful, Dick Pope. Uh, but so it's an honor to be kind of put in a, in a in a class with these other amazing cinematographers, and you know what I liked about them was they were all a little more classical in their photography. Uh, so often in in today's world, you know, a lot of the movies are, are, are manipulated so heavily in post production that it's really 
difficult to really distinguish who did what kind of a situation. And, and I think in all these movies, you know, still, I mean, in today's world, the, the reality is a lot, a lot is, is manipulated in post-production, but I think they were much more pure in their approach to cinematography. And um, I, I, as a cinematographer, I really appreciate that, and, and I can see what these guys were doing. And, and each film is unique and, and exquisite in its own way. So. I, I was very uh, honored and proud, and you know, obviously, if you nominate for an award, you'd love to win. But uh, for me, um, you know, just getting the nomination was was a, was a huge honor, and uh, you know, I, I couldn't have been more happy.